With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. And Mary Kay is coming to us live from Arizona. I guess it's not live if you're listening to it as a podcast. But Mary Kay is in Arizona, uh, just landed a couple hours ago, in fact. Uh, she will be in Arizona, Glendale, that surrounding area for the Super Bowl this week. And so, Mary Kay, I'm just wondering, like, what what does your week look like down there? Well, as you mentioned, I just arrived today. So today is sort of, you know, logistics, travel day, get your bearings straight. Uh, right now, as we're taping this, it's around 1.30 here uh, in Arizona. We're two hours earlier out here. And so I will head down to the convention center. This is a great place to have a Super Bowl. Phoenix is a great place to have a Super Bowl. A lot of the stuff is done downtown during the week. And then you head out to Glendale for the game. Uh, but during the week, it's just very convenient. All the hotels are down here, uh, the convention center, the the footprint center. Uh, so once we get done with this podcast, I will walk down to the convention center. Um, a lot of things, again, are in walking distance. Uh, go over, get my credentials. And then tonight um, is actually opening night. And I haven't been here for opening night in a long time. I haven't been at the Super Bowl for for, you know, that crazy media night uh, in a very, very long time. So uh, I will be participating in that tonight. Um, I had been getting to the Super Bowl on like Wednesday in previous years, but uh, this year I came out uh, early to kind of get, you know, just a vibe of some of the, uh, you know, some of the week and the the festivities and the different things that are going on. And, um, and so tonight, there will be a one-hour availability with the Kansas City Chiefs and a one-hour availability with the Philadelphia Eagles. And again, I'll try, I'll try to find storylines that uh, will resonate with our readers. You know, I mean, like, we don't really need to be doing a Patrick Mahomes feature. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, we don't need to do that kind of stuff. As you guys all saw, Ashley did a nice piece uh, talking to former coaches of Travis and J- Jason Kelsey. I'll try to catch up with those guys a little bit. Um, and just any other kind of storylines I can come up with. So that's tonight. And then tomorrow, you know, you head to the different hotels. So the availabilities are downtown tonight. And then you head out to the hotels on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But there are other things going on at different places too. Like Roger Goodell will have a press conference. 
Um, there will be, uh, of course, there's a big, huge media party tomorrow night that they uh, that they really pull out all the stops for, and that is at a uh, that's somewhere under the stars. I'm not even sure where it's some. It's at a farm somewhere. Um, so that should be kind of interesting. And, um, and then of course, one of the main reasons why I'm out here is because Joe Thomas, Joe Thomas might get elected, uh, into the hall of fame on Thursday night at the NFL honor show. And as you know, I'm part of the hall of fame selection committee, and I am very honored to be on the committee, um, that will help determine if Joe is a first ballot hall of famer on Thursday night. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really the big thing I think for Browns fans is, you know, are they going to get the news that I think everyone is expecting on Thursday, but you just, you never know until it happens. And, you know, in this, in this landscape where everything gets out immediately, I think it's really impressive how closely the hall of fame manages to keep all of this stuff so so close to the vest it's it's a pretty impressive feat um and and yeah i mean that's that's the big news of the week for browns fans is is joe thomas going to go into the hall of fame and as you said we're going to find out about that on thursday night yeah and it's such big news and such a, a great uh celebration for Browns fans after watching Joe all of those years go out there and give it his all, uh, suffer through all those losing years. And, you know, I did that podcast with him and he talked about uh, some of that and how, how much of a toll that took on him. Uh, so that will be exciting. You know, I, I'm, I'm feeling really good about it. I've long thought that he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I've been thinking that for years. Nothing has changed my mind about that. And, um, and again, you know, just looking forward to, you know, being part of that if it happens on Thursday. Okay, so let's go ahead and get, get into some Hey Mary Kate questions here that were sent in from our Football Insider subscribers. And uh, this one will start from Tom Bays in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he's thinking about the Browns and defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, who has been to and won a Super Bowl, of course, with the Philadelphia Eagles. The last time the Eagles were in, to, were in the Super Bowl and won it, uh, Jim Schwartz was the guy there. Uh, so Tom says, hey, Mary Kay, while Browns fans are rightly excited about the new defensive coordinator, I haven't heard anyone address the time it takes for a new team to adjust to a new defensive scheme that Schwartz will install. It seems the Ravens and Steelers have had the advantage of its players playing in the same system each year. What do you see as advantages and challenges that will come from a new leader and new system? And I just want to add, he mentions the Ravens in there, and I think we saw it this year with the Ravens. It took them a little while to kind of figure out that new defense this year when they moved on from Wink Martindale. So uh, Tom wants to know how long you think the adjustment period will be to Jim Schwartz's defense. You know, they don't have a whole lot of time for an adjustment period. They've got to really hit the ground running in 2023, or they could uh, slip behind. And, you know, before you know it, you know, you could be really having a tough time trying to make the playoffs if you don't get off to a fast start. So they don't have a lot of time for that. So I think uh, he's going to have to do the best that he can, Jim Schwartz is, uh, to also adapt to the defense that he's inheriting and making sure that he isn't putting too much on their plate, giving them too much new terminology to learn. Uh, He's going to have to do whatever he can to help ease the transition for them too. But there will be a learning curve. I mean, there just always is. I would say, uh, you know, the first four games or so, he's going to be trying to look out there and figure out, oh, 
does Greg Newsom, you know, fit as the nickel cornerback or is he better on the outside? Even though you see it on film, until you put it out on the grass in your own scheme, you really don't know. And and how are any of these other guys going to fare? How is JOK going to do in Jim Schwartz's scheme? How is Miles Garrett going to adapt to the, you know, to the wider uh, to the wider alignment in, in the, in this wide nine uh, alignment that Jim Schwartz is bringing to the table. So it's, it's going to take a little while. Uh, and the, the unfortunate part about that is that the offense is still a work in progress as well. So it's not like you've got this well-oiled machine going on over on the other side of the ball. And then you have to figure things out over here on defense. No, no, no. It's going to be both. And I think there will be uh, a significant amount of new players on both sides of the ball, not an overhaul on both sides of the ball, but there will be two or three new key players on each side of the ball that are trying to learn the system and incorporate into uh, the Browns schemes. Yeah. When you, when you just kind of go through and, and we've done these podcasts about the needs this team has on the defensive side of the ball, there's potential to have three new starting defensive linemen when, when they come back. I don't know who the Mike linebacker is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be uh, Anthony Walker or Sione Takitaki, or if those guys aren't going to be ready or the players they were after those injuries. So maybe you need somebody new there. Um, I don't know who the starting free safety is going to be, if it's going to be JJ3 or somebody else. I mean, there's potential for, I mean, that right there is five new starters uh, on defense, and that's not counting any draft picks that might come in and, and, fight for playing time, any free agent signings. There's, I mean, that would account for some free agent signings, but there is, I mean, five new starters would be significant if it actually got to that high of a number. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I mean, we just don't know at this point. Um, But, you know, you bring up JJ three and I've been writing a lot about this lately um, that, you know, there, there's a pretty good chance that, they are going to move on from him unless Jim Schwartz looks at him and says, you know what? I need that guy. You know, if he, if he says, I need that guy, then I think they will do whatever they can to restructure that contract. And that's probably, uh, you know, the first choice is to try to keep him at less than 13 and a half million dollars, but that might not be too easy. And uh, JJ three, he needs to be happy with his role as well. I mean, I don't think necessarily that he feels that he was able to showcase his versatility and his skill set over the last two years. Remember in the first year, he was just playing deep all the time. And he used to talk about that. And then, um, you know, actually, I don't even know if he played as well this past year as he did the year before. So um, that's one to definitely look at. And then, you know, there has to be a new tackle. There has to be a new number two edge. There might be a new number three three edge. I mean, unless they really, really feel like they can get a lot out of Alex, right. And maybe they can, I mean, they were so high on him, of of course, when they drafted him and they feel his upside is so good. So a lot going on on that side of the ball. Uh, I don't know if it will be that many new starters, uh, but it's going to be a significant number and a significant adjustment to everything. So let's stay on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, Dave in Denver, he's playing He's playing the hits for both of us here with this question. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, after years of trying to find Miles a bookend at defensive end, do you think it might make sense to put some talent next to him, someone like Deron Payne, if he becomes available? They'll probably sign both a DT and DN, but I'd like to see the talent 
be side by side with Miles instead of the opposite side of the line. And I say he's playing the hits here because you have been pushing for Deron Payne if he ends up hitting free agency. And I have been saying over and over again, put somebody next to Miles, not just across Mm -hmm. from Miles. Yes, absolutely. 100%. I think so. And remember, I, I did a story last offseason after Perion Winfrey was drafted. And he was good friends with Greg Newsom because they're from the same area uh, in Illinois. And they know each other really, really well. And he was going on and on and on about just how much a really good defensive tackle can help your defensive end. And he really believed in his heart of hearts that Miles Garrett would be that much better for having a Perry on Winfrey on the field. Well, the Browns, of course, still hope that's going to happen. But if you can get a Deron Payne, uh, you know, obviously you would love to do something like that. Now, the thing is with the Duran Paynes of the uh, of the world, they're so good that quite often they don't make it to free agency. They get franchised, they get extended. I mean, when they're when you're that good, uh, you don't often hit the street. And so, I don't know that the Browns can really count on that unless Duran Payne just you know he has talked about yes, I'm going to get paid. Um. So unless for some reason the commanders can come through and give him an offer that he can't refuse or franchise him, I I think it's going to be tough for the Browns to get their hands on on a Deron Payne. But there are other defensive tackles out there. Um, So they're going to have to look. They're going to have to look hard. And I do think it would really help Miles Garrett to have somebody like that next to him that can take that heat off of him. And once again, remember, this year – no matter what anybody says, uh, they are going to put him on the most favorable matchup. And that's normal. That's what's done in the NFL. You know, If you think you can get to the quarterback uh, via a certain avenue, you're going to try to do that. So that is not some novel idea. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about that a ton in the wake of the Jadavion Clowney stuff. Um, but when you pay an edge rusher $125 million and basically make him – you know, now that Sean Watson is in the building, you, you know, you're kind of second most important guy on the franchise. Like that guy gets to line up where he wants to line up. And if that guy sees a matchup and wants to go against a different tackle, that's what he gets to do. That's, I mean, that's the NFL. And, and that's what you're going to do as a defensive coordinator, especially is that that guy that you paid $125 million to, he, he gets priority. He's the top dog over there. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and you know, for anyone to think that it, it's not going to be like that when you have Miles Garrett, your very own number one overall pick, and your twenty-five million dollar a year man, uh, he, he's going to get the favorable matchup. He's going to be put in the best position to succeed, and it will always be like that. Um, so yes, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, Jim Schwartz says he hopes to have Miles produce even more than he did. Well. You know, he set the sack record two years ago in 2021 and matched it this past year. If he exceeds that, then Jim Schwartz is doing something very right. Okay, let's continue down um, this this road of needs and some things that we've talked about. Uh, and this comes from Carloso in Plymouth. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, just listening to the podcast about which position is most important. Uh, and of course, you, reflect, you selected wide receiver in that. Uh, I, I took defensive end, I think, and put wide receiver second. Uh, and Carlosa says Tom Brady may be the GOAT quarterback. 
almost never had an elite wide receiver and won many Super Bowls. Having a great tight end may have been key, and perhaps Najoku can fill that role. Does this observation alter what you see as the pecking order among wide receiver, defensive line, and edge? And I thought about this, too, when I was reading this question. It is interesting that if you kind of look in Kansas City at like what Kansas City has done, they've sort of reconfigured their offense to have like kind of a bunch of B, B-plus receivers, and Travis Kelsey is their guy, mm-hmm. you know. Brady, I don't think it's fair to say he never had elite wide receivers. Randy Moss was pretty good. But there were years where he, he didn't have elite receivers. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Carloso's theory here? Does it change anything for you? It really doesn't change anything for me because I think the game has changed. And as you also pointed out, I mean, he always had an elite pass catcher. It doesn't necessarily have to be called a wide receiver. Uh, you know, when you've got Gronk, I mean, and then you can fill in with some other really, really good pieces and parts. I mean, I mean, you know, guys like Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola, and as you mentioned, Randy Moss and, and, and different guys like that, they were really, really good at their jobs and really good at catching the ball and being very, very reliable receivers. And that that's what the Browns really need to have. And I just feel like there's so much investment in Deshaun Watson. Now, having said this, like I said, I I kind of doubt that the organization would necessarily agree with me on this. I would think that they would probably um, think more along the lines of tackle or edge rusher. I would think I'm not sure, but, um, but I just think that, you know, it's what I would do because I think that Deshaun Watson is the most important piece of your team for next year. And I think that you have to make sure that he's right. And in order to get him right, You've got to have things really, really good around him. And I think that he needs more. So it doesn't change anything. But, you know, Carloso makes a great, great point, a great point, uh, because it it isn't always that way. But still, when I look out at at Kansas City, it's they don't have Tyree Hill anymore. But if you gave each receiver like and had them on a point system, you know, they're adding up to a Tyree Hill right now. You know, I mean, They've, they've got the talent level uh, of a Tyreek Hill spread out amongst a number of different guys. They can catch the ball. They've got speed. Uh, they've got a little cornucopia of all different kinds of things going over there now. But they're really good at what they do. So um, I, I still think it's vitally important. And I would still keep pushing the envelope in that direction. Yeah, I, I still think so, too. I think it's however you want to phrase it, whether it's receivers, pass catchers, whatever. And, you know, look, the the players he's mentioned, Gronkowski, and I, I, I'm i the one who brought up Kelsey. Like, it's it's not time to start putting David Njoku in, in, that, in that same sentence with those guys. I mean, those are both surefire first ballot Hall of Famers, and they're both in the argument for the best tight end ever. So um, it's, it's just a little bit of a, a different stratosphere than uh than what the browns have there right now and that's not an insult to njoku that's a compliment to those guys um i i am starting i'm starting to put together my draft crushes a little i'm not ready to announce them yet but there's a couple wide receivers coming out of senior bowl week mary Kay, that i might i have in my potential draft crush category so um our listeners can stay tuned for that maybe that'll maybe i'll do like a big reveal show it'll be like the bachelor <laughs> or something yeah, I mean, soon enough, obviously, we will be going to uh, the NFL Combine already 
next month, or really at the end of this month, is we will be leaving on, I think it's like February 27th. So not long after I get home from this Super Bowl, we're all going to be heading to the combine. And that's where, uh, you know, everything gets rolling in earnest in terms of uh, who everybody likes at, at certain positions and who the top names are. And um, it really starts to take shape uh, at, at the, at the combine, even though uh, Jim Nagy and I do believe this, that, you know, the draft kind of starts in mobile for the senior bowl. Um, you have to get the coaches involved. You know, you got to really get the coaches eyes on these guys before you really know how everybody feels about these players for their team. Yeah. And I, and I think the other, like the senior bowl is just limited in scope. I mean, these aren't, a lot of times you don't have necessarily the, the cream of the crop guys there. Cause those guys are all underclassmen a lot mm-hmm. of times. Um, you know, there's been years obviously where quarterbacks have been there and, and things like that. But um, norm, the combine is when you get every single prospect, every single big time prospect into a room. So some of these senior bowl stars, you start to realize, Oh yeah, this guy really is like a third or fourth rounder, but there's still value to be found there. So um, yes. and, and usually I, I have found when someone performs well at the senior bowl, that's a good sign that generally yeah, not all the time, but generally when that, when a player performs well during those week of practices, it at least tells you something about the player. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty good competition. Um, you, you get to see them playing actual football and that's not something that you get at the combine. So I do think it's unique in that, you know, you get to see what, you know, what they look like trying to go up against a real defensive back, catching a a pass in a pro style situation against some, some pretty good competition. So it's a great event. And, um, and you're right. A lot of really, really good talent comes out of it. And I think it continues to get better each year. Okay. Let's take a break. And then we've got another question about the defense and kind of a more general Super Bowl question uh, that I want to get to on the other side here on the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Monday, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Questions from our Football Insider subscribers. We've touched on this a little bit, Mary Kay, but I want to ask this question from Shannon in Lake Charles, Louisiana, one of our longtime subscribers. Hey Mary Kay, seemingly the defense under Woods had the same pieces as of now that Schwartz does. Woods had full control of the defense as will Schwartz. Uh, what exactly will be the differences we can expect to see that will make things better? under Jim Schwartz? Well, that's a really good question. First of all, he's going to have to dig in and he's going to have to evaluate the roster on his own and decide what he likes and what he sees. And, you know, if he feels like Jordan Elliott still needs to be a key piece of the rotation at defensive tackle, then Jordan Elliott will still be a key piece of the rotation. If he feels he needs an upgrade there, then they will look to upgrade because um, if, you know, if they're, there are plenty of good things that you can say about this personnel department, but one of them is the fact that they will try to get you what you need. 
And that's what they're going to do for Jim Schwartz. They're not going to go out and hire a Jim Schwartz and then not supply him with the talent that he needs to run his scheme. So there will be some changes in personnel. As we mentioned before, they could have a new safety replacing John Johnson three in part because of the $13.5 million cap. He has a decision to make in terms of Greg Newsom at nickel corner. Does he feel like he needs a designated nickelback that knows that role, wants that role, loves that role? And if he does find that guy, then how how do you divide up reps at at outside corner? I mean, do you kind of go with some kind of a rotation or do you go by matchups or do you try to find some different kinds of things for, for Martin Emerson to do? So he has to dig in there and evaluate evaluate what he uh, wants. And then, and I'm sure this will be more of a game game to game thing. You know, is he going to play more man? Is he going to play more zone? Uh, is he going to p- play, you know, there's so many different kinds of coverages that he can play. He's done it all and he's seen it all. So uh, it's, it's just kind of a issue of matching the talent to the scheme. Uh, and then it will be more of the, you know, the wide nine where it's like stretched out at least on one side, but sometimes on two sides and they're just lined up uh, generally wider. The, the ends are. Um, so that will, um, you know, that will be another thing to look at. And then, you know, from a linebacker standpoint, we have to see what he wants to do with, you know, with the linebackers. Does he, uh, you know, does he want to go with the, you know, the faster, shiftier backers, or does he feel like, and I'm sure that's game by game too. Do you need the, you know, the bigger guys that can stop the run in the AFC North? So I think it will look significantly different with um, some elements, some key elements of what has been in the past two years. Okay. Let's shift gears here. Um, Obviously after yesterday, some Browns fans, had some concerns, I guess, was one way to put it, about the Pro Bowl. Um, speaking, of course, of Miles Garrett uh, dislocating his toe, running that that gauntlet obstacle course. Uh, there was video of him uh, limping and then going down and, and kind of getting attended to. So this comes from the 916 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, when are they going to get rid of the Pro Bowl game? I haven't watched one in over 20 years. The flag football version is not an improvement. I will admit here that I did not watch any of the Pro Bowl events this weekend. I actually, I can't think of the last time I've actually watched a Pro Bowl. Um, You know, I will follow along on social media just to make sure things like Miles Garrett dislocating a toe that, that, you know, I don't miss that. But, you know, the NFL has tried to reconfigure this thing and make it work and make it mean something. And, And Mary Kay, it's just, it's been really difficult. It really has been difficult, and I'm curious um, to see if they're going to think this worked or that it didn't work. And, you know, I wonder if Roger Goodell will get that question when he has the press conference here on Wednesday. I would think that that would be a topic. Um, I mean, I'll ask it myself if I can get a question, and it's not always easy to get a a question in at those things. Um, But I'm curious to know, how did they feel about it? Uh, is it too much of an injury risk doing some of these things? I mean, when I look at Miles Garrett, all we heard all all season long was how he was having this horrible shoulder pain from flipping the car. And now here he is in the gridiron gauntlet, you know, 
having to climb over walls as fast as he possibly could. Um, and that couldn't have been easy. That could not have been easy with, with a shoulder injury and a biceps injury. So I, I just don't, I just don't think it's necessary. I mean, maybe it was a moneymaker. I mean, maybe they got ratings off of it. If they got ratings and it made them money, then they'll continue to do it. That will be the, the key. If it didn't do that, then what I think they should do is um, invite them out to the NFL honors show, you know, honor the teams, honor the players that made the Pro Bowl. I mean, you still want to have the Pro Bowl uh, be a meaningful thing. It leads to potential Hall of Fame inductions and different things like that. So I still think it's an honor to be voted to the Pro Bowl. But that's that stuff was silliness to me. And I mean, the lead of one of my stories was, did you want to know what those guys were like in sixth grade? Just watch the, watch the, uh, <laughs> watch the Pro Bowl games. And, and as you guys know, as anybody knows that listen to the podcast where we picked the dodgeball <laughs> right. team, I had no idea what the dodgeball was going to look like or all about because I'm getting a lot of grief for picking Perion Winfrey <laughs> in the first round. Deservedly so, apparently. But, um, but anyways, so I would honor them at the NFL Honors Show and maybe have some kind of a, a really cool weekend that they can bring their families to and let their families enjoy their success and just kind of make it fun and maybe do it in conjunction with the Super Bowl somehow and, you know, just make a couple night uh, celebration out of it. Yeah, there's got to be something they could do. Because like, like you said, they do need to keep the honor. And it does mean something to guys to make the Pro Bowl. Now, I don't know. Can you still give them like a week in Vegas? And I don't know, just make it a week of events or something. I don't know. There's, there's got to be something they can do. Because the game, even when it was an actual game, was just never really much of a draw. And you just no. can't, you know, like the NBA All-Star game can feel like a joke sometimes, but it's like it's guys running around and they're still playing basketball and it's kind of, oh, they're going to score 200 points this year. You know, there's there's some entertainment value there. You just can't replicate that on a football field. And and I don't know. I don't really have a lot of desire to see these guys play flag football. I mean, some people do. I, I don't. Yeah, again, it will it will be interesting to see what happened with the ratings and if it, it made any money and what people thought of it. Because in the flag football game, the only thing that sort of resembles football, the linemen did not even play in that. So three of the Browns' four players that were honored and got to go play in the Pro Bowl games did not play in the flag football games. They they did the other things. I mean, Joel Batonio was, you know, throwing water balloons one night. You know, they were playing dodgeball. They were doing, you know, move the chains, you know, uh, and, and a lot of these guys are pretty beat up at this time of year. You know, this is the time when you are supposed to be healing up your body, you know, not, you know, not trying to bust through a wall or whatever, whatever they were doing. I'm not a fan of the new pro bowl games. I'm sorry to say I'm not a fan. And, uh, I think a, a really, really nice, I mean, have a talent show if you want to do something, you know, like sing, dance, whatever. But um, yeah, I think you can think of some other way to to honor the occasion without putting these guys kind of, you know, not in, in harm's way in a, in a huge to a huge degree. But who knows? It didn't go well for Miles. 
Yeah, that was, um, I, I mean, look, I remember a couple off seasons ago, the big story was Miles Garrett dunking and playing basketball, right? And Kevin made it pretty clear he didn't want that to happen. So I'm sure he's not thrilled seeing Miles have to climb a wall and jump off of it and end up getting hurt in the process. Um, it's probably not going to affect anything moving forward. He might have to hold off maybe on some of his offseason workouts, but um, it's I just can't imagine that makes a guy like Kevin very happy or anybody in the Browns organization very happy. Because again, like we mentioned earlier, that's a $125 million player right there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, you know, they had to take x-rays to make sure it wasn't a broken toe. And if you break a foot the right way, or if you suffer a midfoot Liz Frank injury and need surgery on that, that can be a very, very significant injury. So they're lucky. They seem to have dodged a bullet with that. But, you know, you, you just never really know. And these these games seem like they sort of lend themselves to, um, you know, to injuries like that. So not a fan. I think, you know, I think they're lucky, or at least right now it seems like they're lucky. It didn't seem too serious. I don't know which toe it is or anything like that yet. Um, and, you know, I think he was probably going to have it looked at again when he got home. But um, just really not worth it, especially for a player that had to drag himself into every single game. I mean, these guys don't even practice most of the time during the week, a lot of them right? They're not even practicing. And now they're out there like, you know, moving the chains and, you know, busting through walls and, you know, in obstacle courses. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I did see something today about how, um, I wish I could remember who, there was a player who, who talked about how he kind of valued the Pro Bowl because it gave him a chance to be around other great players and kind of mm -hmm. pick their brains and learn from them. And Marlon Humphrey had a tweet, I think it was today, um, somebody asked him if he did any recruiting down there. And he said, all he got asked about was if they were going to pay Lamar Jackson. But I mean, some of that goes on. I yeah. think there's value in some of that stuff when it comes to the pro bowl, but from a fan standpoint, I just, I, I don't know. There, there's got to be a way where you can kind of create that environment. Um, and still, I don't know, not waste, not waste everybody's time or risk somebody jumping off a wall and getting hurt. All right. Last question yeah. here. Uh, I'm going to spring a little Mary Kay story time on you because this comes from Paxton Styles in Chevrolet, Maryland. Hey, Mary Kay, what was your most memorable Super Bowl experience, working or otherwise? Ooh, gosh, I haven't really had a chance to think about that one uh, too much. Hmm. I mean, anytime you get to watch you know, Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. It's pretty incredible to know that you're watching the GOAT. Uh, so that that's always been uh, an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, trying to think of, of what else. Um, it's just such... Hard, I don't really have a story. Maybe I'll think of one as the it's week all, goes along. It's really chaotic down there. That's Yeah, that's it's chaotic. It. it Yeah, it's it's very, very crazy. Um, i trying to think. Um, were, seeing were you Bill there, Belichick. Were you there the year when it was in Miami and it rained? Like it was just, there was like a downpour or something. I remember hearing some stories about that. Like people no, couldn't I don't, get Ubers I don't, or I can't remember. I don't, I don't know about that one. Um, I mean, I remember seeing Bill Belichick like at the at the after party of one of them, uh, 
And that was kind of, that was kind of funny, you know, to, to run into him in that type of setting, you know, with family and stuff. They don't do that anymore where they would just let the media and everybody go to a, a I don't know that they do that anymore where, where they go to an after, after party, after the well, game. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I just, I heard an interview with Troy Aikman on a podcast and he said that after one of his Super Bowls, he went to, and it was actually Chris Long's podcast, I think. And Chris kind of like seconded this, his, his experience when they won in either New England or Philadelphia. Um, he went to like the official sanctioned party and it was just like him and some media members. So Troy threw his own party the next year. He like planned his <laughs> own party and he, he like ended up throwing his own party and yeah, so I, I think these guys kind of do their own thing now. I, th- I think they try to avoid the sanctioned stuff. Yeah, I mean, who wants to, like, show up at a party where, you know, where the media is allowed in, right? If you're a, if you're an NFL player, it's not going to be your first choice. Um, but now, way back in the day, and I haven't been able to go to these lately because the Hall of Fame voting is usually on Saturday before the Super Bowl, but Lee Steinberg, the famous agent, always throws – an amazing Super Bowl party every single year. And back in the day, I mean, that was the party. You wanted to be able to go to that amazing Lee Steinberg Super Bowl party. And it was just one big name after another everywhere. Oh, and Post Malone, I got I, I had I got my selfie with Post Malone um, a couple of years ago. So that was kind of fun. So the, you know, these are a little off the beaten path. Um kinds of things aside from you know the football but well that's i mean that's kind of what the super bowl is before we go though i do this sort of goes hand in hand with this question but one we had earlier um i know one of the things you do when you're there is you kind of stake out radio row Mm -hmm. um and and kind of work your way through wherever that is and you know i know the one year i was at mall of america and you know wherever they have that set up so what is that like when when you kind of stake out radio or what are you looking for? What's the experience like? What, what happens there? Yeah, it's different every year. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be like this year. Remember, you know, we're still coming out of the, the COVID years where everything was different. Things were not the same. Things were closed down. And so things are kind of back to normal this year. This is the first normal sort of Super Bowl experience since the whole COVID situation. Um, but generally, and they're not letting fans into um, into Radio Row this year. That's usually a, that was a big draw for fans. But if it's like it has been in previous years, I mean, everywhere you look, there's a different player coming through a lot of times with a publicist and they'll be doing, uh, you know, the whole just gauntlet of all the radio. And so I remember one year, um, like I was able to catch up with Saquon Barkley. And that was the year that both uh, he and Baker Mayfield were up for rookie of the year. He told me about the bet that they made with each other and what, you know, what was at stake. And, you know, so that was cool. Cause it was just me and him talking, you know? So I was able to kind of, you know, like break that little story. Um, and, you know, usually you just kind of try to run around and see if you can find people like that, that have something to do with, you know, with the Browns, you know, I mean, if I see Deron Payne, Hey, Duran, you want to come and play for the Browns? <laughs> um, but yeah, so you just, you know, you just try, you know, the best you can to see um, who you can get there. And then when I go to the NFL Honors Show on Thursday night, that's another time 
when, if you get the opportunity to work the red carpet, that's when everybody walks in. And that's a really cool experience because, uh, you know, you can ask some guys some questions there. And, um, you know, that's just sort of a star-studded gala. And, and that's, that's a pretty cool thing. Okay. Well, Mary Kay will be checking in from Phoenix all week long here on the podcast. We'll do another Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast like we've been doing uh, on Tuesday. Uh, so Mary Kay will be checking in from Phoenix then. And then throughout the week, you'll get to hear uh, some of her experiences as we uh, continue our Orange and Brown Talk podcast leading up to the Super Bowl on Sunday. Make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber. That's where all those questions came from. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page for info to see everything that involves and to get signed up. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can see our archives there too. That's where you can go back and listen to the dodgeball draft. Somebody said Ashley's team was the best team. I I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, But whatever. We all know my team was going to win that tournament. But... (laughs) That's that is what it is. Uh, Mary Kay, enjoy uh, enjoy the week in Phoenix, and of course, we'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.